does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Joining us now on the hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based on that segue from WXIN and CBS4, the dean of covering the Colts is Mike Chappell. And, uh, Chap, I will begin with this. The It's kind of probably at this point a topic ready to be put to bed, but we haven't gotten your, your thoughts on it from yesterday. The end of that game with Cleveland, do you see it as, A, the Colts got the short end of the stick because of bad officiating, B, the Colts shouldn't have put themselves in that position to begin with, or C, both can be true? Probably B. Uh, first and 10 from the 20 with P.J. Walker needing a touchdown. I mean, come on. You know, get off the field. There were two or three major plays to get there that, that, that put him in that spot. And, you know, I, I understand the angst. The anger is a bit extreme to me. But I look at that first play, and, and I I thought Baker hooked him. I just thought he got beat on the – inside move and he hooked him and the, the 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 one i didn't agree with was the second one in the end zone you know uh it was uncatchable and i just i never hear much from the league about first of all first we don't know what a catch is and now we don't know what an uncatchable pass is but don't put yourself in that position and a lot of cults said that you know, and we talked to Gus Bradley today and he sort of said the same thing although it was his defense to let him to let him get in that position so yeah, it's it's PJ Walker for you know, anyway. I don't pile on PJ Walker today, but don't let a guy who is is a journeyman go down the field. He didn't need a field goal; he needed a touchdown. So you know, in the end, shame on the Colts. And if you want to waste your week complaining about the officiating, you know, knock yourself out. Should should not have let it got to that part. Chap, did you feel Grover Stewart's absence? I didn't. <laughs> right, but like <laughs> the Colts probably did. Uh, yeah, I don't. You know, the long touchdown run. I that's probably not him. It was somebody probably out of position. The old fit. You know, problem. Yeah, he, probably some, but it, it was more. You know, they missed somebody to block Miles Garrett. We may have talked about it. I wrote about it. A lot of guys did. He's the guy that in that that can do so much damage in four or five plays. There's not many guys that can do that. You know, the Watt brothers, the Bosa's, you know, Micah Parsons. It's you don't notice them a lot, and then you notice them because they they're responsible for like 17 points or whatever. Of course, he also gave them the touchdown. I believe that was him on the on the false start. So he you know he takes and he gives, but. He 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 just turned that game in the second quarter, and the Colts did such a bad job in a couple of plays. The, the block field goal is just unearthly. You you just how do you prepare for that? But to leave you know down in the end zone, and and Shane Steichen said that he'd like a do over on that one where you're thrown out of the end zone, a double move, a double move out of the end zone. And you've got Drew Ogletree and 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 Blake Freeland 
trying to impede Miles Garrett, which neither one did much to do that. So just a, just a I don't put that on Grover. I uh, there were other things more concerning, and we end up somehow somehow scoring thirty eight and getting beat. That's really tough to do. Mike, which do you see happening right now at a a more accelerated rate? The the phase down at, at no fault of his. I mean, with Jonathan Taylor playing now in in you know getting more involved, kind of the 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 phase the slowdown phase of Zach Moss away from the offense or the emergence of Alec Pierce becoming a bigger part of the passing game. Uh, Moss. Moss, just because you paid Jonathan Taylor $42 million, what was it, $26 million guaranteed, whatever it was, for a reason. And again, it's at no fault of Zach Moss. He's, I think he's still number two in the league in rushing, which is really crazy. He missed a, he missed the opening game, or he's probably, he might be the league rushing leader. And you need to move somewhat away from him because that's how good Taylor is. We've seen, we've seen how they, they've, amped him up every week. And I remember we, I talked to Jim Irsay and he said, yeah, we're going to ease him in probably three or four weeks. Well, here, here's week four. Uh, and that doesn't mean at all you get away from Zach Moss, but they each had, what was it, 50 snaps and 18 carries. But then Taylor has those two big plays in a passing game, and he's just he's just going to give you more than what Moss does. And, and, boy, you don't want that to be a knock on Moss. It's not. But that, that's what you've got to do, and that's what this is going to be going forward. It's going to be – it needs to be 23, 25 passes from Minshew without, you know, gosh, four turnovers, and and much more of, of Taylor slash Moss, 35, I don't know, 35, 40 rushes if the game allows. Because you this team now is not built to, to throw the ball – 35 times a game. It may not have been with Richardson, with the way they wanted to use him in, in the run game. So, you know, it, it, this this league is all about maximizing your strengths and staying away from your weaknesses and not putting guys in position to fail. And when you got two really, really, really good running backs, that's what you lean on. And when you look at it, Mike Chappell, our guest from CBS4 and Fox 59, when you look at Jonathan Taylor – prior to this season he is not a guy that we saw used a lot and chap you correct me if i'm wrong here but i I don't recall him being a running back that was seen as a dynamic marshall falk out of the backfield receiving type running back but he's had a few of those plays now can shane steichen invent that within him and make him a dare i say like tyreek hill level weapon where you get him in space in different areas aside from simply handoffs I wouldn't go Tyreek Hill. There's probably Alvin Kamara. More than that, uh, we, we've seen snippets of him in, in the past game. And boy, someone we've seen him. Boy, he had that long. Was it an 80 yard with with a screen pass? I can't, I can't remember who it was against. Whether it was Frisco or who it was Baltimore, I can't remember. The games run together. I'm looking here. He's coming into this season. He had. 104 catches, you know, about 30 a game, uh, 30 a year, 800 yards, three touchdowns with a long of 76. So he can do it. But what we what we've seen is a a top level play caller. And Steichen had he had a couple of times 
Sunday he, he wants back. He does. But, boy, you can just see what he can do with a player like like uh, Taylor. I mean, I think there was three plays out of the Wildcat, and he had a big reception against Jacksonville when he split out wide right, and he runs a wheel this week. And the, he, he's just a big play. You get him in space, and, and, he's, and he's a chance to go 20 yards or more. So I, I think they're just scratching the surface. Keep in mind, they didn't have him to do all. They, they could draw plays for Taylor in the offseason and then training camp and all that, but they couldn't run him because he wasn't out there. So so now you're just sort of, well, let's try this, let's try this, and and, and you work on it in practice now. But they really haven't had much time to work on it. I remember during Edgen's, Edgen's career here, they always, yeah, we'd really like to get Edgerton more involved in the passing game because he was really good getting him in space. Well, Edgerton was never here, was seldom here in the offseason. So it was hard for Tom Moore to really expand that part of his game, although there were times when Edge was just a, just a big play in the pass game. Taylor's so much more than, I think, what Edge was in the pass game and can be. They're using him about every way you can which is really cool because it forces a defense to prepare. And, oh, by the way, they've got Moss, who if you give him 15 carries, he's going to get you, I don't know, 75 yards. So it's really a, it's really a good situation. But, again, it's one that they're just having now a chance to explore and expand because they, they haven't had him until the, this past month. So that leads to the other part of that question, Mike, which is – is Alec Pierce slowly now starting to, you know, people forget, and you and I have talked about this before, chap, you know, Reggie Wayne was not a star as a rookie. I mean, it took a while for him to get going. And I remember right. even rumblings of like, man, is this guy ever going to get off the ground? And right. then it was off and running. Has Alec Pierce started to turn that corner? I think so. I thought we saw that last week. Uh, I think one of his first catches was that underneath crossing route and which they hadn't done a lot. He He had been like that vertical guy. And now we're seeing more. And yeah, I think so. Now I, I would. I'm guessing that at the end of the season we're going to say, boy, they just didn't use Pierce as much as they should have, or he didn't give them as much as we expected. But keep in mind, you've got Michael Pittman, who I saw Nate Atkins' story in the quotes about maybe I'm not a big part of the offense. What? That that was just wrong time, wrong place for Pitt. And I really like Pitt. And you got Josh Downs. And now you got the running game, and they didn't make much use of the tight end that they like to do. But going forward, if they run, if games stay winnable and all that, you're only going to throw it 25 times a game, maybe 30. Well, you know, divvy it up. You know, do the math on on who gets gets the receptions and the tu- uh, the targets. So, I think with Pierce, it might be more quality over quantity on his plays. And if he can take the top off the defense a couple times, get a, get a DPI once a game or whatever, then good for him. But I think we all, I'll include myself, expected more numbers from him to this point. We haven't seen it. But I do think when they sort of now they've settled in that this is our quarterback and this is what we can do, they're sort of expanding the pass game. And I think he's going to get more shots you keep throwing those things underneath and with JT or dot down, it's going to leave some some shots on the outside, which is really Pierce's game. But I have seen him more active, more diverse 
So I think going forward, he, now I'm not saying he's going to get six or eight catches. Maybe he will. I don't know. But I think I think he'll be more quality over quantity, which is fine as long as, you know, there is quality there. Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Mike, when Juju Brents went down, it was clear that at times, particularly on that last drive, the Browns tried to target Daryl Baker Jr. and did effectively, especially on the controversial calls, to end the game. We talked about this yesterday. I feel like a large part of that has to go on Chris Bauer and the lack of depth or experience that's in that secondary. Do you agree with that sentiment, A? And then B, we're a week out from the trade deadline. Do you see the Colts sniffing around to shore up or improve the secondary between now and then? Well, we've been talking, and in, in the guys in the press room, we were talking from June, July, about what they're really going to go with this this inexperienced group, and that was after you know they lose Isaiah Rogers with, with the gambling thing, and then remember they didn't have Juju for quite a while because of injuries. So yeah, this is where they are, and none of us really agreed with with this strategy. If that's you know the roster building, I guess is what you call it, because in a perfect world, you were going to go with an experience with, with, with Juju and probably Dallas Flowers. That that's the best case with Kenny Moore and the nickel. And now it's not best case. It, it's it's not it's close to worst case. You lose Kenny Moore, then then you're really really hurt. you know knock on wood all you want on Kenny Moore because he's having a great year. But the outside guys, they they're just worrisome. And I'm, we haven't heard an update on Juju. I'm guessing it'll be a game or two. I've not heard more than that. Maybe it will be. I don't know. Will they bring somebody in? I, I, it, that wasn't asked, I don't think, specifically to Gus Bradley today, but he just made it sound like that to do that and bring a guy in and throw him in there right away, you really had to simplify things, which maybe wouldn't be a bad thing. At corner, I even asked Gus today, you know, do you consider leaving Kenny Moore outside? when you're outside guys, which he plays in the base, which they're not in base a ton, but leave him outside and then kind of mess with the nickel position, which then, then what you're doing is, you know, you mess with two positions, which is ne- never a good idea. So now th- this is, this is sort of, you know, the bed they made and, and it's, it's so hard to find somebody that's decent enough to step in and play in this late in the season, it just is. Uh, whether they would want to do that, whether some team wants to give up a corner, I don't know. But they're simply running out of viable options. The other guys they've got, the Tony Brown and Chris Lehman, those guys are sort of special teams guys. They really are. So, but again, I agree that this is what this is the the roster building they did in the off season, and right now it's kind of biting them in the butt. Last year, Mike Chappell was our guest. We spent a ton of time being critical, sometimes rightfully so, sometimes maybe a little too much, of Bernard Ryman as a rookie along this offensive line. He's only been asked, the player I'm about to reference, has only been asked in injury relief to step up and be a part of the O-line. But are we doing the same thing with Blake Freeland in terms of his struggles and him just being a rookie, or are there are there concerns there about his relief efforts over the last couple of weeks? No, I, I, no. The problem. No, I think he's played okay, considering. I thought he played pretty well last week. It, it, the problem is your your most your precious memories are the most recent ones, and oh, you got Miles Garrett. 
you know, the the kind and, and Miles Garrett uh, whipped up on Bernard Ryman on that one around the side. Then he gets gets past Freeland and in the tight end in the end zone. No, but but again, this this is what they did. This was their roster building to where they, there really wasn't a, a a veteran swing tackle that you'd say, okay, if something happens, we can put this guy in your spot because it's been Blake Freeland, you know, a mid round draft pick. It's just asking a lot. It's, it's you know, if you thought he was going to be that good, you would have taken him higher. And that's not meant as a knock on him. It's just he's, he needs more time to get to get his feet on the ground. But this is that's what I say. Sometimes it's it's on the team when you put players in position that maybe they're not quite ready for. But I thought he's played he played pretty well. I think he had really a top run blocking uh, grade against Jacksonville, which was crazy because they didn't run the ball very well. But it, it's just he he, he 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 when you're a tackle and you make a mistake, it's just going to be a bad play. It just is. Maybe, you know, Miles Garrett makes it a really bad play. But if a tackle gets beat on the edge, you're, the quarterback's going to be in peril. But, this, again, this is, this is what they did in the offseason, the approach they took. And, and now they're having, you know, as long as Braden Smith's out, he's your, he, he's your right tackle. And we don't get a really an update on Braden Smith much, but – you know, he's missed two games, and we'll see how long long he might be out. You know, Mike, it's interesting, with all of that, the Colts still are the only team in the league to have scored 20 points in every game this year, and they just doubled up Cleveland's really stout defense. I think Cleveland's obviously got a great defense, but, you know, they Cleveland was giving up 200 yards a game. The Colts went like four and a half against them. So right. there's reason for optimism, obviously, exactly. right? I mean, you look at it and you go, holy cow, if they can keep Anthony Richardson healthy next year, which I realize is a big if, but you, you start to to see why there's room for optimism, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes back to the head coach in a quarter. They're, they're doing a really good job at – at, at maximizing what they've got. Now, they need more. They still need – I still – I like Pitt. I still think they need a one. I, I think they need a bona fide one receiver. I don't know how you get it. I don't. I mean – but, but they, no, this is all about finding out what these guys can do. We know what the running backs are. I think we got a pretty good idea what the tight ends can do. But when you got a young quarterback, it's about getting the pieces around him. You hope Ryman is your – left tackle, and then Braden will be back. So your offensive line should be pretty well set as far as the starters. But, yeah, I, 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 you've got to be encouraged. And I don't care who you I, – I, I need to go back and look at the stats. They're like 5-55 and 55 with four turnovers in the game since 84. I bet those five games they won were with Peyton. Because it takes a spe- – or, or luck, it takes a special quarterback to, 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 you know, turn the ball over like Peyton did occasionally – and then win. You know, they, remember, I remember he had that six turnover game, six interception game in San Diego, and they should have won because Vinny missed a chip shot field goal. But you just, you can't win. I don't, with all the round, you can't win with four turnovers. It's just too hard. And they had eight in two games. So I, I don't know if they beat Jacksonville or not, you know, how the game might have gone. But they darn well would have beaten Cleveland if you don't turn the ball over four times. Joining us on the program is Mike Chappell of CBS4 and WXIM Fox 59. Chappell, let's go back to Michael Pittman. Uh, two questions here. The first being, afterwards, 
there was, and again, I, I keep saying it, it percolated. I don't know that you would say that this is boiling over by any stretch, but there was kind of that hint from Pittman of, I need more targets. I need more looks. Yeah. He made a huge play in that game. Um, I get it. He sees the blueprint from Jonathan Taylor. He's in a contract year. Is this, does this have potential to become a boil over distraction? I don't think so. I think this was a, oh, I, I hope, I hope, and I think this was a one-off to where a player who I think I can call him the ultimate competitor type of guy to where you're thinking, you know, I could have done more. I should have done more. And, and I think that's what it was. But when you say maybe I'm not a big part of this offense, he's got 19 more targets than Josh Down does on the season. You know, he's like ninth in the league in receptions. So this one game, and again, they, I go back, they threw the ball 27 times this game. You know, Downs had six targets, and, and he had five. It's not like he had – it's not like Reggie Wayne against the Jets in the playoff with like one target. So I, I thought it was spur of the moment where he's really frustrated because he is a big part of the offense. And, and you know, five targets, I realized they didn't target him in uh, what was it, the first, uh, in first quarter and a half, whatever. But it just – when you look at the numbers, you want to say, what are you talking about? You know, you're the leading receiver with targets and receptions and yards. To say that was strange. You know, wait till you get beat 27 to 6 and you've got two targets, two catches. Then say, well, what are we doing here? I can, I can, and the way you say this, I can help this team. I can do more. Uh, it, it, it was just, I thought the wrong time, wrong place. And I, I think if he had a chance to think about it instead of immediately after a game when we're in there, uh, maybe maybe he doesn't say the same thing. I don't think this is going to blow up. I don't think this is a contract thing. If he stays healthy, he's going to catch 100 balls for 11, 1,200 yards. And next March or whatever, February, March, he's going to get paid buku bucks, $25 million or so a year from somebody. So I really think it was a, one, it, it was a one-off. I hope it, will, it was a one-off. So here's the thing, chap. What what fascinates me about Michael Pittman, I don't disagree. He's a really good player. And I don't disagree that he may not be a number one. But is it possible that he is in fact and can show himself to be a, a reliable number one if you upgrade the number two below him? In other words, you've got two guys. I mean, Alec Pierce starting to show some things. Downs is going to be a really good player, but we know that he's more of like a crossing route, you know, kind of guy. If they get another big target, another big kind of deep ball target to go alongside him, does that elevate to the point then? In other words, have we gotten a fair evaluation based on supporting cast of what Pittman looks like as the number one? Probably not. Uh, we may have talked about this last week or two weeks ago. Stephen Holder mentioned, and it's true, he's got like 600-yard games from from four quarterbacks. So the, the, I think that this quarterback carousel they've been on has really made it difficult for me to really evaluate what he can be. But at the same time, we were talking because we talk a lot when there's nothing going on. I kind of compare him to, to Miles Turner with the Pacers to where, boy, you want more. You want him to do something more. Well, th this is Miles Turner, who's a really, really good player. And Michael Pittman, you want more whatever, but he's still a really good player. 
And I was talking to Rick Venturi, and he and I disagree pretty strongly about Pitt. But but somebody's going to pay him $25 million, and if you don't pay him, somebody will. But like your point is, if you bring in somebody, maybe not a, a pure number one, because those guys are – you're not going to get Justin Jefferson or, or Stephon Diggs. You're not. But get a guy that – that is at his level, then, then does he get better? Right. And and I don't want to say you're you're settled, but is, is that good enough with everybody else? Probably so. So yeah, that's a good point. And people keep talking Marvin Jr. They're going to win too many games. They're going to win what seven, eight, nine games? They could. Look Especially you look at their schedule, man. I mean, the next, the schedule. <laughs> I mean, holy, that, that, that's why Sunday hurt. That's why Sunday hurt. So you're not the only way you're going to get Marvin Jr. is for Jim Irsay to say, well, Chris, we're going to give up our entire draft class in something next year to give up to get up to what four? How high you have to get three, four? So in, in free agency, it costs you a boatload to get that guy. Just just say a Christian Kirk. Look what he got. Was it last year? And, and then use inflation, and then you're you're in the mid you're in the mid twenties. So, but no, I agree. If they can get another strong two who has more speed and all that, then I think that group is good enough. And I know people, there are still Pittman detractors out there, but I, I'm not one of my thinking. I think he's a very good player that, that if you don't re-sign him, it's going to be really, really hard and really expensive to replace him. So, but it, but it's, but that's what it's all about. It's about finding out what you've got this year. And when AR comes back next year, you've got this group, whatever this group is, you got a better group around him because that, that's what it's all about is giving your young quarterback as strong a supporting cast as you can. After his post yesterday on social media by Jim Irsay showing that he was about to take his amphibious four-wheeler into the pond near his residence, we need an update today, Chap. That's your responsibility. You are in charge of making us, of making us all aware that, yes, in fact, Jim Irsay made it out okay. Well, maybe all we're going to get is like a picture of that 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 four wheeler like in the middle of the pond, <laughs> you know, and and then, and then and then it's left up to you to say what happened. <laughs> I know, you're right. And and Abby's hat pick as to whether or not he got out all right. Yeah. Well, see, <laughs> when, when, when we got off here, I had to go over to my rental property and do some leaf mulching. I think I'll get in my helicopter and zip over like with, four blocks with your own two it. hands. That's right. That's right. He's the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 59, CBS 4. Chap, last thing for me, Pacers win totals over under 37 and a half wins. I know you don't dabble in the betting side, so I'll phrase it this way. Over under 37 and a half Pacers related Mike Chappell raccoon gifs. Over. My raccoon's clapping his hands. Love it. Love it. You can follow him on Twitter at mchappell 51 We'll talk to you next week, Chap. Later. For those curious, which probably encompasses... Eddie, Jimmy, and maybe my mom, maybe Eddie's mom, since she's drinking the chai tea. Uh, Stephen Holder and I failed, thank goodness, to come up with any sort of a legitimate wager in the Clemson-Miami game. And I think in the end, in the long run, and I don't say this because Miami won the game in overtime over Clemson, but I think Stephen would agree with me that it's probably a good thing that we did not wager that because that then would mean a public confession that either of us watched the game because it was a terrible football game. Now, Stephen, is that a fair statement? It, it, it is. It is. I felt like no one really wanted to win that game. 
And and I mean that in, in, in a figure of speech. And also, I mean it in terms of uh, Mario Cristobal's coaching at the end. Yeah, it was yeah. bad. It was bad all the way around. I mean, Clemson had a – Clemson this year has had five – count them – five times this year where they've been at first and goal, and they have zero points out of those five possessions. That's incredible. It's brutal, like, right? That's hard to do. It's it's actually yeah. It's fall into one. It's kind of impressive, right? Um, it is. Okay, so let's begin with this the the Colts Browns game. We've talked at nauseum now about the two plays at the end, and and yeah. you know obviously the the kind of defensive breakdown on the final drive. So uh, the first thing, and I, I realize that some of this we're not going to have concrete answers just yet. But when the injury reports come out for this week, or when Shane Steichen deals. Uh, or, or talks to the media and just kind of gives updates on where guys are. Who are we keeping an eye on in terms of where they are health-wise against New Orleans coming up? Well, I'll start with uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'll start with Juju Branch because just from the tone of defensive coordinator Gus Bradley's comments earlier today, it sounds like he's going to be out at least for this game, if not beyond, because. He was asked, you know, what steps are they taking to kind of fill that spot? And he he said it was the subject of a lot of discussion among the coaches. So uh, this doesn't strike me as something that's a small thing. Uh, This is a potentially serious injury. Just, you know, is what I gleaned from what he was saying. You know, among the things they discussed was, was moving Kenny Moore to the outside corner and having someone else fill in as the nickel corner. The problem with that is that Kenny Moore is very dynamic from that spot. If you take him out of it, then you kind of lessen uh, the the ways in which you can use him. So they don't want to do that. They'll they'll just find another option. And obviously, one of those options is Daryl Baker Jr. on the outside. So that's why this is an issue. Now he was, regardless of what you think about the about the interference calls. Uh, Daryl Baker Jr. was targeted the minute he went in the game. Okay, and I'm just going to be honest. I mean, the Browns read the scouting report, and the scouting report says we don't think this guy can play. I, they had to they had to have said that because that's exactly what they did. Was they went after him as soon as Juju Brents went out. So that that initial excuse me that last drive, uh, it was it was bad even before the penalties and and. Daryl Baker was involved in some of that. So anyway, that's the big injury that I think is is an issue for them right now. Uh, I, I don't know the status of Eric Johnson. Now, we wouldn't normally be talking about Eric Johnson because most people either don't know who he is or don't know anything about him, but he is their backup nose tackle, and Grover Stewart is out already. And so he went down after the game. I saw him in a boot afterwards, so I think they're going to have – uh, some some questions there, and that's an issue because you saw that early uh, the early touchdown right up the middle, that the, the kind of touchdown that the Colts don't give up against the running game very often. So anyway, long answer, but two criti- two critical injuries to watch. ESPN Colts reporter Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, it's easy for. Michael Pittman Jr.'s comments to get lost in the national cycle when Washington Commanders defensive lineman Jonathan Allen had a rant for the ages about how he feels about the Commanders and where things are headed after their loss to the Giants. It was awesome. Clearly, Michael Pittman Jr. is not yet in those waters, but for the first time that I can remember 
frustration expressed publicly by him about what's going on with the offense, even though the numbers would show, especially the last two weeks, he was pretty heavily involved. Is that a spark that could lead to a bigger fire or is it just frustration and he'll probably either walk back or disregard those comments in a week's time? So I'll start by saying this. Those of us who who talk to Michael Pittman on a regular basis, like, you know, in a casual manner in the locker room, will not be surprised by what he said because (laughs) he is refreshingly honest. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Now, he doesn't say that stuff on the record generally, but Michael Pittman, I I know where he stands on just about everything. And and he's very honest, and I love that about him because – a lot of times he confirms the things that I'm already thinking. I'm like, hey, did you guys screw up on this or that? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yep, and here's how it happens, and, and he'll just go on and tell you. Now, you know, a lot of times those things are not published, but, but again, that, what I'm trying to say is that that's kind of who he is. He, he doesn't pull punches. Uh, he's, he's a pretty honest guy. And so I, I don't think anyone in the building would be necessarily surprised at what he said, because he's pretty direct. And, and I think he understands his place on the team as, as someone with some, some time invested and has had a lot of contributions. So anyway, that's the context. And I say that because I think that's important. I think if he's a guy who maybe isn't highly thought of or isn't well-liked or respected, it could be seen differently and it, it would be received differently. You know, I think, Michael Pittman, the one thing you can say about him is that, you know, he plays hard. He plays away from the ball. He plays with the ball. Uh, he does everything that's asked of him. So I'm okay with it. I personally didn't understand the timing of it. I would say that. But, but I don't think it's going to be a thing, if you will. You know, uh, Shane Steichen was asked about it yesterday. And you know, he kind of said, look, you know, I look at it like that's a guy who – who wants to contribute and a guy who wants the ball and I'm okay with that. And I would agree. I think that's okay. Now, the, the other thing is if, if there's three or four more games like that, where Michael Pittman's not involved, then maybe it's different, but I don't anticipate that. Uh, he's always been involved a lot. He's their most targeted guy. I don't anticipate that changing like for good. So assuming that's the case, uh, then I think this blows over. So, Here's a question, Stephen. Stephen Holder's our guest, ESPN.com. And this might be cart before the horse. But I'm curious of this. Michael Pittman Jr. is in a contract year. He saw Jonathan Taylor, his teammate, skulk a little bit. Not really hold out officially, but kind of. Went yeah. a little bit public, maybe through the agent I mean, more than the player. It was a holdout, but right? Go ahead. <laughs> but I mean, not officially, right? Like yeah, it wasn't know, like I the know. old age holdout. Yeah. And then ends up getting exactly what it was that he was looking for. Yeah. Does that set a precedent that the groundwork's being laid towards? So that requires us kind of, you know, extrapolating, you know, some things that we we can't say for sure because Michael Pittman hasn't said that. However. Here's what I think we can say. Michael Pittman was, play, was, was paying close attention to that situation. He had to. He had to be. Um, you, you are with a team that has not really invested at wide receiver, not really paid guys at that position. So, 
So that's that's going to be a question for you. Um, I I think that you know he was also interested in a contract extension. He wasn't jumping up and down about it. He wasn't ranting and raving about it. But but he definitely was open to it and was willing to listen. And the Colts decided not to do that. So to then see another guy maybe take a different route and then ultimately get what he was looking for, it would get my attention. You know, I'm not suggesting that there are any ulterior motives in what Michael Pittman said. I have no idea. But I think it's a fair question to ask. That's totally fair. Totally fair. I would say this, too, that that Pittman is, you know, look, he is – I'm not trying to paint him in a certain way here. He's he's all in. Like he plays hard, and and he's he's never played for anybody else or expressed any interest in going anywhere else. But I also think don't get it twisted. Michael Pittman will play for whoever pays him. I'm just telling you now, okay? Like if someone rolls out a red carpet and they say name your price, my man is going to listen. He's a businessman, and as they all should be, okay? I don't ever have a problem with a player wanting to get paid. You know, so I think Michael Pittman is pretty honest about that in some of those frank conversations that I was referring to. I don't think that there's any doubt that, that the Colts are going to have to step up if they want to keep him and, and do what it takes because I do think there will be a market for him. The, the, the problem he's going to find potentially is that there is a good crop of potential uh, wide receivers and free agency coming up. But a lot of that list is going to be uh, curtailed by by the franchise tag and or contract extensions. So, you know, if he makes it to free agency, he could be one of the premier guys available. So with that said, Stephen, you know, I, I think we know who Pittman – I mean, I think Pittman's a really good player. And we were talking about it earlier with Chap. You know, is he is he a true number one? Well, uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we can't truly assess that just yet because – Maybe he hadn't had the supporting cast underneath them of a dominant number two in terms of a receiver, right? But give me – so to segue from that in terms of analysis of players, give me a player on the roster that we thought we knew for certain that, in fact, there were no questions left about them and they were established at that position that we might have prematurely decided. And, in fact, they may be evaluating at this point still – despite the fact that we thought that was a position that was lock, stock, and barrel taken care of? Hmm. That's, that's a tricky one. Um, so you're talking about, about a pl- – let me just make sure I'm clear. Well, for example, who- like Bernard Ryman. We thought, Bernard, we thought okay, you know what, right. like it looks like they've got that taken care of at left tackle. It, are we sure of that still, or are there still questions yeah, yeah, yeah. there? Or if it's not that position, give me a position where that thought process would be applicable. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. I I don't want to 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 say this in the wrong way. I want to make sure that I'm clear. Um, all right, safety is an interesting position right now because it looks like they have a good situation. Julian Blackman, I think, is having a really good season, and and then Rodney Thomas was just a a revelation last year. Never saw that coming, and he's been pretty good this year. So. Now you would you would think all right well they'll just keep those guys intact, uh, but sometimes you you have to kind of cut some corners you know just to manage the salary cap and things like that. And I wonder what they do with Julian Blackman now that he is a free agent, because you do have Nick Cross sitting there and waiting in the wings. 
They drafted him in the third round. They really like him. Uh, he had a really slow start last season, so he has kind of postponed, you know, his his coming out party, I guess. But um, but they haven't found a way to get him on the field, and part of that is because they have good talent in front of him. But they would like to get him on the field. They've talked about it, and and they're looking for ways to do that. That's one of those situations where uh, I would compare it perhaps to what we have seen at linebacker over the years with the Colts, which is where they have really cultivated just a, a great pipeline of talent over the years. They keep drafting guys late in the draft, and these guys just go on and, and, and you know, sort of take each other's jobs year after year after year, you know. And so we saw that Anthony Walker moves on, you know, Bobby O'Karake moves on, and then somebody slides in there and takes their job, and look at Zaire Franklin now. So I, I think there's a possible, possible situation like that at corner excuse me, at, at safety, you know, with Julian Blackman. It is not a knock on Julian Blackman whatsoever. It's not. In fact, the the argument is that it, it's quite the opposite, that he's actually pretty good and maybe would ask for a, a contract that maybe they don't want to pay. And then and they have another option there. So, I mean, that's very, very hypothetical, but I think I think it's something, and it's maybe not exactly the answer you were looking for, but I but I think that's an interesting situation to watch. ESPN Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, we've been waiting since March for them to decide to make significant upgrades, both from a depth standpoint and starter caliber standpoint in the secondary. And it seems like Juju Brents is going to miss some time. No clear indication yet how long that will be. Is the deadline, which is a week away, the time that they finally decide to shore up and add there? Or do you expect them to stand pat and let it ride for the rest of the year? That is a good question. I, before we even got to the trade deadline, I was talking to one of my colleagues in the press box the other day, and I was thinking, like, there's 32 teams, right? So there's 31 other teams. They all have X number of players on their practice squad. Are you telling me there's not one cornerback out there on somebody's practice squad that you could say, you know, let's give this guy a try? <laughs> I mean, like, there's not one guy out there. I mean, I don't know, man. And I don't want to beat up on Daryl Baker, but they benched him. They benched him. It was them that did it. I didn't do it. They did it. You know what I'm saying? It's like you said what you said by your actions. (laughs) So I think that this conversation should have been happening already. Instead, they just kept pecking away at their depth, and the depth keeps getting eroded. So now we're back to square one. And so Daryl Baker – is now the next man up again, and that's not where they want to be. So I don't know. I, I I guess your question is is fair. You know, could they could they find someone at corner? The problem is I don't know how many expendable corners are out there. Uh, it's it's a premium position that's you know tends to have a shortage, frankly. So it's not. I don't I don't see any magic bullet there. I just don't. And it's going to be an. I think it's potentially an a season long problem for them and and I don't know how they you know how they overcome that. Steven, when my time comes, it's entirely possible that on my headstone there will be a bad analogy because I'm kind of, you know, I I I will admit to the fact that I probably <laughs> offer some bad analogies, right? But the one that actually I've always been proud of is I've always said offensive linemen and defensive backs are like cell phone chargers and sunglasses you can never have too many of them because Uh you are constantly losing them and or they're just breaking before your very eyes 
and with that, it also seems like they're the easiest thing that you can find replacement players for. Did they get burnt? I mean, did the Colts get burnt? Like, how are they in the position where they are this thin in the back in the defensive backfield, or is it because they had to use assets elsewhere for roster spots? Well, I'll start by saying if you looked at if I gave you my Amazon login, okay, and you looked at my orders, half of the order history would be cell phone chargers. <laughs> no question, right? <laughs> because you can buy the El Cheapos. Here's the thing: you can buy the El Cheapos at the gas station that are knockoffs, and they work great sure. for like a month and a half, and then they just don't work anymore. And I, and that's probably like the waiver right. wire for corners, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, how they end up here? I mean, honestly, uh, it, injuries really are a part of this too. I mean, it, you know, we just talked about Juju Brents. I, I don't know that that's some kind of season-ending thing, but uh, you know, it, it's an issue for the time being at minimum. Uh, they also had uh, Dallas Flowers. You know, don't don't forget that. I mean, Dallas Flowers was was certainly at, at best or at minimum a, a serviceable corner um, and was trying to develop into something more. You know, he's on injury reserve. I, I believe that was an Achilles, so that that hurts. And so then you go back to, you know, Isaiah Rogers, and then you trade Stephon Gilmore uh, before that. And that's fine. I mean, if Gilmore wanted out, I think, you know, a veteran of that stature, I, I'm inclined to give him what he wants. And I think he did express that to the Colts. So I, I don't necessarily criticize them for, for making that decision, what I what you can criticize them for is not investing more heavily at that position. They did really go hard in the draft at that position. That's that is true. However, the the issue I have is that you you also could have added a veteran and they did not. And and I think that was maybe a a short sighted decision. So that's where I would th- take issue. That really, you know, look, a lot of things happen to erode the depth. But you could have done more to address it. Is there anything of real qu- consequence, though, for Chris Ballard? Like, look, I, I, I go back and forth on Ballard, and I've accepted the fact that the reset button was hit when you brought in Anthony Richardson. But if right. year after year we're continuing to look at holes and we're not even involved in the front office and there's still no resolution or answer for how it gets resolved, at what point is it? What I go back to, which is, do you trust him to build around what you hope is your franchise quarterback? And I know that's a larger question for maybe another day, so I'll stick with the original one. Is there anything consequential that happens with these holes in terms of Ballard's job security? Well, I, not right now, I don't think, no. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Like Sometimes his approach works, and, and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's just that's kind of the issue is that he rolls the dice a little bit, and so here you have a, a corner. His approach was okay. Let's just double down on these young guys. We got a whole bunch of them, and you know we'll be right on at least a couple of these guys, and it'll work out. You know what I mean? Like theoretically, that's the approach. He was right on and, Speed and, and Franklin, right? Like he was right on Speed and Franklin. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then like the offensive line. Look, we talked a lot about that. You just mentioned it, right? That has pretty much worked out. I give them credit. Like the offensive line hasn't played this well in a couple of years. They've, they've been doing the job. Granted, Braden Smith is hurt and, and maybe you could have a better backup uh, tackle maybe, but you know, Blake Freeland's fighting. He's doing his best <laughs> against a murderer's row, by the way, the, the last few weeks. But anyhow, you know, so in some cases it works out, but I just think it's, 
it's a little bit of a, a dangerous way to live. And, and so corner is another example the, the current state at corner is an example of, of it not working. So, so that's the thing. I, I think there are some executives who just will not leave that to chance and, and will go over, above, over and above and, and spend more to ensure that. Um, and even then you can be wrong. Don't get me wrong. You know, you, you can go out and get a veteran and he can suck. That can happen. Right. So it's not, and this is a guarantee uh, Ballard, I think he, re- he reverts to, or his default is let's develop the young guys and, and that'll be our depth. And that's not terrible. It's just that you, you're, there's some unknowns there and, and that's what you're dealing with right now. Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen this is something I have not, you know, I think the answer is maybe somewhat obvious, but maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, what is the day-to-day like right now for Anthony Richardson? You know, in terms of, you know, here's a guy that's a promising young player that suffers the injury and opts to have season-ending surgery on his shoulder. So, you know, he's got his arm in a sling. Um, and I think that most people think like, okay, well, that just means that he's like just kind of hanging out, watching film, and hanging out. What is the day to day in terms of how much does the, does the team now oversee what he does every day? What does the next few weeks look like or months look like for Anthony Richardson? Okay, so so one thing to know is that he's going to be very engaged. He will remain very engaged in everything they do. Um, my understanding is, you know, he'll. Excuse me. He'll he'll continue to be in the meetings. Uh, he's he's been at practices generally. Um, he he wants, in fact, to be a part of everything, and that's why you've seen him like take road trips with the team. That's very intentional. Not all injured guys are around, you know, or or engaged at that level. You know, he's he's on the field during even road games. You know, and they have him very much. Uh, engaged because, I, and I think it's important. And here's why maybe this is being handled different than than an average injured guy who's out for the season, because he's the quarterback, and he has to have a, a different kind of relationship to this team. You know, his he, he was voted a captain. You know, he he definitely has a more central role and a presence in general, whether he's playing or not playing. He has a presence that's very important. So. And, and I just also think it's good for his psyche. You know, he, he had a hard time. He has had a hard time dealing with this from what I hear, as you can imagine. You know, I mean, Anthony Richardson is pretty smart. He knows what his value to this franchise is and, and how important he is to this franchise. He gets that. And he knows what has happened before he got here. So to now not be able to, you know, to, to see that through your first year, I mean, that's a really tough thing you know, to have to digest. So I think keeping him engaged like this, it it does kind of ease some of that for him. But anyhow, um, in a more specific manner, he'll have surgery. If he hasn't had it yet, I I haven't gotten an update, but if he hasn't had it yet, he'll have that here very soon. And then uh, once he's able, they'll get right into the rehab. They don't waste a lot of time with that. I mean, they may kind of dip their toe in initially, but – they're very aggressive about rehab when, when possible. Uh, as soon as you're able to, uh, they want to get you back going and don't waste any time. So he'll have plenty to do pretty soon uh, when it comes to his, uh, his rehab process. So, uh, but I like the way they're handling it and, and keeping him 
engaged and, and keeping him in the fold. It's good for him and it's good for the team. You know, the interesting part of that, Stephen, in terms of if if Richardson is – and I get it, you know, disappointed psychologically, you know, dealing with it. Um, I think that's true probably of any player, maybe even depression. I'm not saying in Richardson's case, but, I mean, there have been right. cases where you hear about that kind of thing. Sure. Um, that's the, the interesting part of that is ultimately this was his decision, right? So does that kind of, I guess – shed light on just how maybe serious this might have been in terms of him wanting to get the long-term solution as opposed to just continuing to band-aid it and saying, you know what, I'm willing to accept that mental aspect for the physical well-being long-term? Yeah, I I would say this is what I'd say. It was, yes, ultimately it is the player's decision. If there's a, if there's like a, you know, a, a decision to be made, right? If you, if you tear your Achilles, there's no decision to be made. Right. Um, and, and in this particular case, theoretically, there was a decision. Like, could you play with, I mean, could you uh, rehab it without surgery? I, I guess theoretically, yes, that's why it's a decision. However, um, my understanding is for him as a quarterback, it wasn't that tough of, the, of a decision. Um, so what he did do really was just he made the, the, the sensible decision. Um, I don't think it was necessarily like a 50-50 kind of deal. Uh, it was one in which everyone agreed this was the best course of action. There wasn't any disagreement to my knowledge. But, but yes, I mean, to, to understand that and to, to digest that and to, and to uh, you know, embrace that reality is, is tough. And and you have to, it does take some maturity to understand um, what that means and to understand the bigger picture. I guess is what I'm saying. And he seems to do that. He seems to be able to do that and and understand that the long term here matters as much as anything. So which is listen. When I was 21, I was only care. I, I only cared about today and tomorrow, basically. So right. give him credit for that. ESPN Colts reporter wait, Stephen wait Holder joins you us. You cared about tomorrow when you were 21? Are you kidding me? You were a step <laughs> ahead of me, Stephen. <laughs> I cared about maybe like tomorrow morning. That's, <laughs> that's that right. was about it. Like Where you were going to wake up. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, how, how late can I sleep in tomorrow? That's, that's right. what I cared about. Steven, is this the week that the training wheels come off for Jonathan Taylor? I think we're getting there. I thought they should have came off, frankly, uh, in the fourth quarter on yeah. Sunday. They did come off, let me be clear. But uh, they still continued to alternate between him and Zach Moss where there was a moment there where I was like, okay, we're getting ready to see one of those old-school Jonathan Taylor runs here any second. And I didn't love that Shane Steichen went back to Zach Moss as much as I love Zach Moss. And he is, I think, one of the better stories of this season, just what he's been able to do and and the way he has emerged. But uh, ultimately, Zach would tell you, (laughs) Jonathan Taylor is special. Even Even Zach would tell you that. Jonathan Taylor is special, and... I think he was on the verge. He he's one of those guys. I think, and, and everyone else can uh, can attest to this because you've watched him. He's one of those guys who, over the course of a game, he just gets better and better. And the more touches he gets, and then by the fourth quarter, you're like, oh my god, what happened? That's that's Jonathan Taylor. So I'd like to see that be the case if he's if he's playing well the way he did on Sunday. I think you lean into that. Okay, last one for me, Stephen. The player that is starting to finally cement that we can rest easy more so that applies for Alec Pierce or Shaq Leonard 
Hmm. That's actually a tough question. I would say I think Sack is getting there. Uh, the, the problem for Sack is that the bar is so much higher because of who he has. Right, been. because and, of, mean, and he said it, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a three-time All-Pro. <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a high bar. Alec Pierce just has to be good. He doesn't have to be an All-Pro to meet the bar. The bar for Alec Pierce is like, you know, catch 45 passes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, for 800 yards or something. I'm just, you know, just arbitrary numbers. But, I mean, that's not as big of – that's not as high a bar, not even close. Um you know, I don't know that Shaq Leonard ever gets back to being that all pro. I have no idea. And and if, and I think he can still be successful if he doesn't. But I thought the, the previous week, I thought week six, we saw a little bit of uh, throwback Shaq Leonard. So now it has to be about consistency. And, and look, it's not all about money, but money's a part of this too. I mean, they are paying him almost $20 million a year. So, like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, can't, you can't ignore that. And and no one will. So for Shaq, uh, he's got a longer way to go just because the bar is higher. He's Stephen Holder. Oh, Stephen, what's the doggy's name? What's the doggy's name? <laughs> oh, that's Kimmy, and she should really shut up. Uh, no, Kimmy, you know, that's she, fine. She's that's a wonderful. pit bull. She's the scared, the scaredest pit, pit bull you ever met. And Kimmy's how old? How long have you had Kimmy? Oh, she's like a year and a half. And and was Kimmy? How long have you had Kimmy that whole time? Uh, yeah, uh, she was a rescue, so I, I don't know exactly when she was born. We think it's about a year and a half, so yes. Got her when that. she was really young. Hello, really young. hello, Kimmy. Hello, baby. <laughs> okay, there you go. You know, you, uh, Stephen, I've always said, three kinds of people in the world you can't trust, okay? You cannot trust these three people. People that don't return their grocery cart in the parking lot, people that oh. people that don't know how to deboard a plane properly, and people that don't have a dog voice. <laughs> and if those three things, those people that fall into those three categories are all psychopaths. I'm okay with that. I like that list. That's right. I'm with you. I support it as well. <laughs> Thank you. Steven, we'll talk so to you next Timmy. week. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Holder Steven. 